Welcome to Better Broadband with Clearfield. Welcome to this episode of Better Broadband, brought to you by Clearfield. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. Now, on our last episode, we discussed partnerships between telecommunications and electric utilities that are making broadband possible for rural America. Well, today on the podcast, we're sitting down with one of the largest member-driven technology co-ops as a sort of a state of the union on rural broadband. I'm joined by Ted Solomon and Rudy Tober from the National Rural Telecommunications Cooperative, or NRTC, and Michael Wood, National Market Manager for Utilities at Clearfield. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Shelby. Good to be here. Hello. Hey, great to be here, Shelby. So let's start by understanding the NRTC. I know the organization helps member utilities and affiliates in 48 states deliver advanced technology solutions across rural America. But Ted, tell me how the NRTC is really getting broadband into homes that you know, have never had this type of life-changing technology before. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, thanks, Shelby. So, uh, you know, first, uh, I'll just describe who we are, NRTC, and I think that'll probably uh, start to answer that that uh, specific question. So, uh, we are, as you said, member driven. We're actually member owned. We're we're a cooperative, and we're owned by the members that we serve. And so, we serve both telephone and electric cooperatives. Um, interesting, you, you mentioned you had a, a, a session last time on partnerships between telcos and electrics, which is something that uh, that we encourage as well. So anyway, we're owned by our, our members, which are rural and electric, 1,500 of them. And what we do is we, we partner with each of our members as they look and we help them to assess, build, and manage broadband, smart grid, and mobile networks. Ted, my impression of NRTC, what I tell people when they ask me who NRTC is, is uh, remember when we used to travel and go to offices and often the reason to be at those offices was that was where the engineering department was located, for example. Well, NRTC is like the engineering department of a giant company consisting of 1,500 utilities uh, founded by co-ops, uh, a board of regional co-op GMs, presidents, and CEOs. This evolving market really is advancing in large part due to NRTC and, and their support and contribution to this report, for example. And they didn't pay me to say that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. Right. And so and, and then you, Shelby, you asked the question of you know, how we're helping get broadband out in rural America. Well, we've done that in various forms as the technologies have progressed through the years. And uh, our telco members have done that for years. And there's a, a recent, I say relatively recent over the last five, 10 years, movement of electric cooperatives realizing they could take uh, the assets they have in place and the customer relationships, their members, they call them, their member relationships they have, and uh, take this infrastructure and, and extend it out to their members. And they're not doing this for some profit motive. They're doing it because they're, 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 uh, your communities really need it and they're asked by their communities to provide it. And so as member services, they're realizing that they can really be a big part of the puzzle and expand in helping their communities achieve a broadband uh, connectivity. Well, I mean, we talk about the technology and the use cases, uh, but I think it's nice to be able to understand or I guess remember the reason why we're doing this. And this is, you know, getting that that fiber, that broadband, that high speed Internet into uh, to homes all across uh, America to the you know most rural, most remote areas that they never had this before. And, and I think that's kind of a, um, you know, a great thing to remember that this is the great purpose behind fiber. 
Yeah, and when they, you, you may have noticed right up front in the report, if you read it, that one of the uh, project goals uh, states, we endeavored to catalog and share electrical cooperatives experience and results to help cooperatives that are currently evaluating their own broadband plans. And to me, that's got to be kind of my favorite thing about the rural broadband push by cooperatives. I mean, I know it's in the name and all, but the level of cooperation amongst co-ops and municipalities for that matter, the willingness to share data and pitfalls and successes is is really unique in our kind of competitive world. And nowhere is the willingness to serve constituents more altruistic and baked into an organization than in a cooperative. Exactly. Well, Michael's been mentioning a uh, report, a benchmark report that came out. Rudy, can you tell me about that report and, and what were some of the high-level findings? Sure. Uh, the broadband benchmarking report was, it's kind of like what you said, Michael. We wanted to go and reach out. There's cooperatives all across the country that are deploying advanced broadband solutions. And it's sometimes difficult to know how those projects are doing. So we wanted to reach out to a large group of cooperatives to see if we couldn't get information and literally catalog and share their experiences. So we actually reached out to uh, a large number of cooperatives, got 36 cooperatives to actually participate in this benchmarking survey, and they answered 39 key questions that really helped define their broadband experience. So we're very excited about this. And as Michael said, what's really great about electric cooperatives is uh, not only are they doing this great thing, bringing broadband to their members in rural areas, but they have been very willing to share their experiences. Well, that type of information sharing, it's, you know, that's baked into the name about the co-op. You know, there is cooperation there and understanding among the members. So let's go over um, some of the elements of that benchmark report. Uh, let's talk about the technologies and the or the use cases. Tell me about those use cases and then some of the uh, smart grid use cases that were that were mentioned. Right. Thanks. So we asked our members, so what, what are the use cases when you're deploying broadband? What, what are you using this for and what technologies are you using? So if we think about it, these are electric cooperatives and their first mission really is to provide uh, electricity and to do this in an efficient, safe, cost-effective way. Uh, and so if we've heard about smart grid, what that really is, is it's the ability to help get this uh, data from across your grid to help you operate your business more effectively. Right, so that's what smart grid is and communications technologies are what enable that. Yeah, I mean, in the report, you talk about several use cases, as you mentioned, and, and I saw a few days ago your post on LinkedIn about Jasper County REMC in Indiana uh, kicking off their high-speed internet rollout. But before they started running fiber to homes, they're spending this year, 2021, to build out their, I think they call it smart grid ring. Um, in the report, you say uh, fiber is a must-have for utility operations. So I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. What are those specific smart grid kind of use cases? What kind of uh, trends might we see in the future in these technologies? Yeah, sure. So you mentioned the what we think of as a building block. Uh, some call it a ring. We call it a broadband backbone. It's really substation connectivity, and so you're you're connecting each one of your substations. And you know the the primary technology that uh, that co-ops are using for that and 94 percent used fiber to do that you really want a robust uh, low latency secure technology as your 
backbone that connects your substations. So that is really the first use case, and then the others are enabled by that. Second, we asked about what what you can call smart grid endpoints. And what's an endpoint? Well, I I mentioned already that you're trying to get data from all across your grid, uh, various elements of your grid. And so that's what we call endpoints. Meters are an endpoint, you know, downline devices that you want to control and monitor endpoints. And so what was interesting is that those are historically served wirelessly. And we're seeing that 81% of the respondents said that they've pulled fiber to some of those endpoints, which is, you know, which is, uh, which is using that asset and that investment to serve smart grid uh, and to serve those endpoints, which was a, a really interesting finding. Um, and then there's a couple others where, you know, fiber you just will, it will never be the choice where, you know, it really involves mobility. So you've got workforce management, vehicle management, and land mobile radio, some call it LMR, where you need the ability to connect with your cars, your trucks that are moving. So obviously you're going to need a, a mobile connectivity there. And that's, of course, what our, what our respondents uh, are using. And then, you know, the last use case, which is, you know, we're spending a lot of time talking about is consumer broadband. And, and uh, the respondents are using a mix of technologies, most over 90 percent, both for consumer and business broadband are using fiber. But uh, they also augmented that in some cases, 30, 40 percent of them to reach the last cut, you know, least dense areas. They've augmented that with fixed wireless broadband as well. So going back to that report, uh, let's talk about uh, some, I mean, you, you've touched on this a little bit, Ted, but uh, let's talk about the results and uh, what I think was most significant for you. And, uh, and Rudy, I'd love, uh, I'd love for you to, to jump in here and share some of those, those findings that you found most interesting. Sure. Um, you, you know, a lot of this report was dedicated to deploying broadband and, and really to getting to the nitty gritty of the deployment statistics that these 36 cooperatives were experiencing. So I'll just give you a couple of highlights and, you know, happy to answer any questions. But one of the things I think was most exciting was when we asked these 36 cooperatives what are your take rates looking like, right? That's a question that a lot of cooperatives want to know. What is my take rate going to be and and how can I make projections for that? Well, fully 88% of these cooperatives experienced a higher take rate than they originally projected. And to give you a flavor for what that looks like, for all 36 projects, the average take rate, that's consumers buying broadband internet services, came in at 47%. And some of these projects had only been uh, active for maybe a year or two. When you actually push that number out to two years, um, projects that have been in business for more than two years, that take rate actually rises to 52%. So, uh, you know, a very healthy business, very healthy uh, statistics. Um, I'll, I'll just jump into one other section that people find interesting. And, and I'm a person that at, uh, had a lot of experience working with co- cooperatives, working on feasibility studies, putting together business models. And they would always ask the questions, well, what kind of average revenue can I expect? What kind of expenses can I expect? So just to give you a flavor on the average revenue side, the average uh, revenue per unit, or what's called ARPU, came in at $79 
per unit for these 36 cooperatives. So, you know, fundamentally, if you have a pretty good idea of what your take rate's going to be combined with what your average revenue is going to be, you can get to the point where you can do some pretty good back of the envelope projections. So very excited about that section in this report. And, you know, for those folks who get a chance to look at it, I think it'll be very helpful if you're planning a broadband project in the future. Let me just ask you, what are the industry standards for take rates? Well, again, um, I'm not I'm not sure what the, you know, outside of this report, but again, 36 cooperatives in this report reflecting projects in 21 states gives you a pretty good representative sample. Yeah. Um, and again, one of the, one of the things uh, that, that I like so much about this report is, if, you know, folks would ask us these questions, right, these kind of detailed questions. And we didn't always have an answer that came from a really large sample size or a pretty good sample size. Sample size. With this report, um, we now can say, gosh, you know, this takes into account all areas of the country. It takes into account a large number of cooperatives with various time and deployment and various size. And you can really get a sense for some good averages to look at as you're thinking about a project. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but this this is not only NRTC supported projects, correct? Correct. And I, if I remember the breakdown, I think it's maybe a third were projects that we were involved in. So it really is a very good sample of projects who used, you know, different technologies, different uh, management approaches, and, you know, different folks that they partnered with to build the project. Yeah. And I, if I can jump in, there was an interesting question about what's the standard. Well, you know, if you think about areas where competition is high in a, in the urban and suburban areas, uh, you'd have a, a you'd have a lower take rate or a lower, lower market share just because you have more providers. But you've, I think we've all heard some of the I guess black eyes that some of the providers get, you know, as far as customer satisfaction. But you know, the take rates that Rudy shared, they're able to achieve that because our members are really close to their members, right? They're in the same community. They're trusted by them. And so not only is there less competition, that's why they're helping solve a problem, but they're very, very responsive to their community. And that's why they're able to achieve such great results. Shelby, you may remember last time we talked about the differences between interacting with an electrical member customer versus that heightened demand of mm -hmm. an always on kind of broadband user. Yeah. So, uh, Ted, Rudy, how do companies accommodate that? What do they how do they reshape their organization to manage the new business? So I, I would say one of the things that we included in this report, and I won't get into too much detail, but we looked at what the management structures looked like. And as you can imagine, you know, every cooperative is different and, and many had different approaches. But, um, you know, essentially they would integrate parts of their broadband business, you know, with the electric business, but then also supplement with new employees. So, you know, a new broadband manager, new technical employees that would support the broadband network, um, and they would bring those two things together. And, and I think someone said earlier, we were talking about, uh, you know, the, 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 the good level of take rates that folks are getting. And fundamentally what we've learned from doing this study and other studies is that you know people like and trust their electric cooperative and when they find out that the electric cooperative is now going to deliver these advanced broadband products you know members uh, really feel good about that and they're very likely to sign up for those services it's uh it's funny for me uh hearing that uh, that trust level you know i'm i'm uh 
I'm coming to you from Texas, where uh, we just had quite the uh, energy fiasco. <laughs> and there's, uh, there's, there's not a lot of trust there for, uh, for the agencies, for the, you know, the providers, all of that. And so uh, to be able to, to speak to the trust that, that uh, members of, of, you know, those communities have for their electric co-op, that's, uh, that's pretty significant, yeah. right? Yeah, and I and I would say, and I'm and I'm I'm crossing over into some other projects we've worked on where we've done member surveys. You know, when we ask them about, you know, should the cooperative build a broadband network or not, the one thing that always comes out in those surveys is just what you said. So we'll ask them sometimes about other entities, you know, other competitive type entities that provide broadband services. Uh, you know, uh, well, you you know what they are. And then we'll ask about uh, how they feel about their electric cooperative. And I tell you what, it, it always comes back that the cooperative is highly trusted and, and members feel really good about them offering advanced broadband services. And I think it's one of, the, one of the tricks, you know, one of the things we found doing this project is that these advanced broadband projects that cooperatives are doing are, you know, not only successful with their members, their members are happy, but they're financially successful. And I think that, you know, all of that is a big reason why the trust that they have for their electric cooperative. So finally, as part of the report, um, you know, there was a section discussion about operations. So, uh, Ted, can you tell us a little bit about what uh, the co-ops do to set themselves up operationally and, and kind of what drives their organizational design to be successful? Adding to what uh, Rudy said, you know, we surveyed our members and we asked them what the composition of their staff was. And so we had those results and it really varies. It varied and we have a correlation by the size and the number of subscribers that they support and some choices they might have made about who they might pull from from their core bit, electric business, like Rudy mentioned. Uh, but then we also asked them for certain functions. Do they insource it, outsource it, or both? And you asked uh, about the whole 24-7 nature of these things. When you're monitoring a network, that's a 24-hour thing. When you've got a help desk for members that need to make sure, you know, that their technology is working, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a 24-7 thing. So it, interesting results is that, you know, we saw a mix. And so we saw a good trend towards insourcing because our members want to have local jobs and they want to, you know, these are often very, you know, good local uh, jobs that they want to be able to provide, but they augment it in a lot of cases. And in NRTC, we provide, you know, outsource help desk or uh, we augment the 24-7 for, you know, uh, for nights and weekends, et cetera, or network monitoring. So they can look to uh, third-party providers to help augment their staffs, right, where they might have a skill set or or just need some overflow or maybe uh, you know nights and weekends or to help them achieve things they couldn't do themselves. So as uh, as we start to start to wrap up, I, I want to turn it back to each or one of you to uh, to kind of give us the headline if you will, you know, coming away from this episode, what do you think is most important for for people to understand? Uh, about what NRTC does, about the mission of bringing broadband to rural America, and the logistics of uh, this benchmark report and the information that we can really learn from it. First, I guess over the past, I don't know, century, there's been a huge population shift to cities. And 
10 years ago, 80% of the US population lived in urban areas. That's obviously slowing and, and even reversing with, uh, with COVID work from home kind of situations. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, my takeaway is, again, the electric cooperatives are the best to roll this out. They've got the operational capabilities, they've got uh, rights of way and make ready capabilities to be able to manage projects like this versus some of the more questionable operators that might have won awards from the recent RDOF FCC auction, for example. And and someone like NRTC, as we know, that's it's never a one size fits all kind of scenario. And NRTC has the experience to really kind of run through that with you. You, you said it best and, and that's that's it's really great because that's how we look at it is you know the one size fits all and and every member has a different uh situation i mean they all have the attributes you said the responsiveness to their community they have assets that can be used to help solve a problem the problem is the broadband connectivity in rural america all right but they're but they're they all have different situations so you know today we talked about the technologies they might use we talked about staffing models you know the amount of uh, take rate they could expect and it all depends on what their situation is uh so it's just it's it's a, a blessing to be able to work with each and to really find the solutions and the technologies and the business models that work best for them. Yeah, I, I'll just add in, uh, I mean, uh, for me, one of the takeaways uh, from working on this project and, and, and seeing all the results is just, just to kind of the sense that, you know, a lot of people went into these broadband projects in rural areas with, with, a, with a fair amount of concern, right? It hadn't been done the other broadband providers were not willing to come out and spend the money because they didn't think they could get the rate of return. So the electric cooperatives have been, you know, brave in the sense that they've been willing to do this. They've been willing to solve this problem. And I think what comes back overwhelmingly in this broadband benchmarking report is that these projects, and again, many of these have been up and running now for, for a number of years, some more than five years, they are successful. They're successful in every way. The members are happy. They're getting services they never would have gotten any other way were it not for the cooperative. And the median internal rate of return for these projects is a healthy 10% for the 36 uh, folks that participated in the survey. So, so it's, it's really a good news story. Um, you know, I would even call it a great news story where folks in rural areas are now getting the most advanced broadband services, you know, fiber to the home, 1G services, uh, so on and so forth. And it's paying for itself and then some uh, because the projects are, you know, financially successful as well. So I just think, uh, you know, cooperative broadband based on this survey that we did and this information, it, it, it really says, hey, this is a very successful thing and it's working very well. I like that. It's not a good news story. It's a great news story. Hmm. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. Rudy, Ted, thanks a lot. Shelby, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. And that does it for this episode of Better Broadband, brought to you by Clearfield. Be sure to subscribe to so you don't miss a new episode. Until next time, I'm Shelby Skarhawk.